We are going to be looking today again at giving effective Bible studies. How to give Christ-centered and dynamic Bible studies. You know, this is one of the things that scares us the most in evangelism. What if someone comes to you and they want to know more about the Bible and they begin to ask you questions, but you don't know the answer? Or maybe you're comfortable getting, giving Bible studies, but at the very end of the Bible study, the time comes for you to ask for a decision, and suddenly you begin to tremble. How do you ask someone to make a decision for Jesus Christ? What if they say no? So that's exactly what we're going to be looking at together this afternoon. And again, I will be sharing a lot of material with you, and I can give you my email at the end of the program if you would like to receive a copy of these slides. I am happy to do so as well. As was mentioned this morning, I work for Amazing Facts, and I've been working with their AFCO program since the end of 2011. Prior to that, back in 2006, I actually attended their four-month AFCO training program. And I had no clue what I was getting myself into. I did not realize that two afternoons a week, I would have to go door to door, knocking on doors and inviting people to have Bible studies, sharing with them about community services. You see, I would have been terrified. And yet, there I was. I was already signed up. I had no choice. Thus, AFCO began. And I remember my outreach territory. You know those areas of town where the cops are constantly circling? Those areas where the guys are out front and they are dealing drugs, they are smoking weed? That was my outreach territory. In fact, I remember this one apartment complex we were working in, and soon the guys in the area got to know me and my prayer partner, and we would walk into the neighborhood and they would call out, oh, here come the Christian girls as they're smoking their marijuana, right? That was my outreach territory, and I loved it. The people were open. They were looking for something to fulfill those needs in their lives, and it was so beautiful to study the Word of God with them. I remember meeting one woman by the name of Betsy. Betsy had a huge impact on my life. You see, Betsy was one of those Bible City friends that you dream of, the one that is always there, <laughs> the one that is excited about Bible studies, learning everything she can, grasping it, making great decisions on everything that she learns. I remember about five or six weeks into our Bible studies, a prophecy seminar began nearby, and so I invited Betsy to come to that prophecy seminar. Every single night I would come by, I'd pick her up, and I would bring her to that seminar. One afternoon, I'm traveling around my outreach territory, and I'm visiting with people that have not been coming to the seminar. And I had a very strong impression, you need to go visit Betsy. Have you ever argued with the Holy Spirit before? I'm not alone here, right? And I remember arguing with God. Oh God, I will be picking her up tonight. God, she's been coming every single night faithfully. And I remember thinking, I don't need to go and visit her. She's going to think that I am stalking her. <laughs> and yet that impression continued to come. And so finally, after some time, I thought, well, I'm in the neighborhood anyways, might as well drop by. 
So there I was at Betsy's door, and I knocked hard on the door, and you could almost see the wood splintering. <laughs> and yet no answer, and I knocked again, and, and still no answer. But you know, I knew that God brought me there for a reason. And thus I knocked a third time. But the Betsy that opened the door was not the Betsy that I was expecting to see. She looked empty, completely depressed and discouraged. And I looked at her and I said, Betsy, what's wrong? What happened? She, she invited me into her living room and we sat down and she told me, you know, I have been sitting in my house trying to decide the best way to take my life the best way to commit suicide. What if I had not gone? Now, of course, you know the story. Of course, you know I was arguing with the Holy Spirit. But I am so thankful that God did not give up. What if I had not gone that afternoon? Betsy and I knelt together in prayer. We embraced one another, we cried together, we read Bible promises together, and how beautiful it was to see Betsy surrender her life to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Betsy continued to come to that prophecy seminar, and at the end of the seminar, it was my absolute joy to watch her walk into that watery grave of baptism. And I remember standing there and telling the Lord, God, this is it. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. There is no greater joy than seeing someone you love make a decision for Jesus Christ. And I believe each of us are here today because we have that same burden. Because we have the burden to reach our family, to reach our community, to reach our city for Jesus Christ. How can we give effective Bible studies? How can we gain decisions for Jesus Christ? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, I am so thankful today that it is not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. Father God, we are here today not because there is anything in us, but Lord, there is everything in you. Father, we seek you today. May you speak through me that your word may touch our hearts today is our prayer. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If I was to ask you, what is the greatest calling given in the New Testament? What verse, what passage may come to mind? The greatest calling in the New Testament. The Great Commission. For many of us, our minds would be driven to Matthew chapter 28, correct? Go ye therefore unto all the world, and I believe this is crucial. But there is a preceding call, a foundational call that today we are going to consider. Turn with me in your Bible. We are in Mark chapter 3. Mark Chapter 3, the first great call. Mark chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 13 and 14 today. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13, we read, 
And he, speaking of Jesus, went up onto the mountain, and he called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. You see, here Jesus goes and he calls a group of men. He calls them to do what? To be with him. The first great call is to be with Jesus. Do you see that here? He calls this group and he calls them to be with him in verse 14. When someone comes to Christ, what naturally occurs next? They then desire to do what? To go. He called them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. You see, what often happens is we call people to come to Jesus, but we have them spend very little time at his feet. And rather we say, all right, get to work. There are souls to be saved. But Jesus knew the correct method. If we're not spending time with him, if we are not growing in our own relationship, our own experience with Jesus Christ, what do we have to share? How can we go unless we have first come and spent that time at the feet of Jesus Christ? You know, sometimes evangelism is something that we do. Have you felt that way before? I should do evangelism. I should interrupt, interrupt my nice Sabbath afternoon nap because I should go do an evangelism. We might say we, we hold an evangelistic seminar and we consider that our evangelism. But evangelism is not supposed to be an event. Evangelism is to be our lives, our very experience. I have a friend who drives me crazy. Do you all have friends like that? Don't say it too loudly if it's the person next to you, right? <laughs> Actually, I have permission to tell this story. That friend is my little sister. Now, my little sister, uh, she is now married, but when she got engaged or when she was dating Johannes, she drove me crazy. You see, there was no other topic in her mind. Oh, isn't Johannes wonderful? Isn't he perfect? Oh, he does this, and oh, he does that, and oh, he walks on clouds. <laughs> and after a while, you're wondering, can we talk about anything else? The weather, basketball, anything else. Do we have to talk about Johannes? Did I have to remind my sister, you know, Desi, you haven't talked about Johannes all day long. Do you think I ever had to do that? No, she was annoying. <laughs> it was nonstop. I never had to remind her. But you know, that got me thinking. What if my relationship with Jesus Christ was like that? What if evangelism was not something I thought about having to do? Rather, I love Jesus so much that it naturally flows out of me. 
What if our love for Jesus was so dear that we don't even realize that we are speaking of him? Because it so naturally flows from our lips. I'm inspired by the apostles of old who would say, throw us in prison, chain us up, but you cannot stop us from speaking of our Jesus Christ. And you know, I believe that that is the foundation, that is the key to effective evangelism. Have we spent time at the feet of Jesus Christ? For each of us, God has divine appointments. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? Amen. I firmly believe that there are people that you can reach that I could never reach. And vice versa, correct? We all have a testimony. We all have an experience. We all have a circle of influence. People who we have already connected with and God is calling us to reach them for Jesus Christ. I'm inspired by this quote from Acts the Apostles, page 109. We read that there are many who are reading the scriptures who cannot understand their true import. All over the world, men and women are looking wistfully to heaven. Prayers and tears and inquiries go up from souls longing for light, for grace, for the Holy Spirit. Many are on the verge of the kingdom waiting only to be gathered in. Is that exciting? There are many who are looking up to heaven and they are crying for the salvation and the joy that you have. There are divine appointments around us today. About a year and a half ago, I was traveling through New Mexico with my parents. And I don't know about you, but when I'm traveling, my least favorite meal to eat is breakfast. You cannot find a decent breakfast, right? And oh, we debated about fasting, but finally we ended up at a Denny's. And there we were talking with the waitress and trying to find some hash browns or something to eat. And we paid our bill and we were getting up to leave when I had that strong impression that I needed to leave a little Bible track behind. Now, I was in the process of moving, and, and my life was a little bit chaotic, and so I reached into my purse where I normally carried my little stack of glow, and I had nothing. But, you know, I felt so strongly convicted that something needed to be left, I started to do, you ladies know, the purse search, <laughs> dumping it out and looking in the corners and hoping maybe somewhere tucked in the corner would be a little glow trap. And sure enough, I finally found one. As my mom is asking me, what are you doing? <laughs> finally found one, crumpled up in the corner of my purse, and, and I pull it out. It's the glow track on, does God care if I'm hurting? And I pull it out, and I begin to try and straighten it up as well as I can, but of course it looked like a mess, and so I reach into my wallet and grab some change and put it inside to make it look a little better. <laughs> and left that on the table and began walking out of the restaurant. We were just approaching the parking lot when I heard someone running behind me. My mom and I stopped and we looked back and the waitress called out, 
Wait, wait, wait. Can I ask you a question? Sure, of course. How did you know I was hurting? How did you know I was hurting? Did we know she was hurting? Not a clue. How could I have known? And yet God knew her heart. And yet God sent us there for such a time as this. By the grace of God, we were able to get together in the parking lot. My parents and this waitress and myself all held hands in the parking lot of Denny's. And we prayed together. And we were able to share a little steps to Christ with her. Again, you see, I had no clue. I didn't see. But our God knows. Our God cares. There are divine appointments everywhere around us. And I wonder if my prayer, instead of praying for divine appointments, if, I, if my prayer should be, God, open my eyes. They are there, Lord. Open my eyes so that I can see those around me that you would have me reach. Now, as you know, today we are specifically looking at how to give Bible studies. The first question I want to ask today is, what is the biblical rationale for giving Bible studies? Now, if I was the advisor for Jesus Christ, I would consider the length of time he had on earth for public ministry. Three and a half years. That is very little time to reach the entire world with the gospel. Thus, if you were the advisor to Jesus, who would you have told him to minister to? It would be the large audiences, would it not? Jesus, continue preaching on the multitude to 5,000. Jesus, we can get together a good audience. If I have the PR work, we'll get 10,000 people. Jesus, the large audience, you don't have time. And yet, again and again, in the ministry of Jesus Christ, we see him reaching out to the one-person audience. Give me some examples. When did Jesus reach out to a one-person audience? Nicodemus. Zacchaeus. Woman at the well. Absolutely. You know, I love the story of, of Nicodemus. Jesus could have told Nicodemus, if you want to know about the gospel, be a man. Show your face. Come out during the middle of the day when I'm preaching on the hillside to the multitude. And yet Jesus said, Nicodemus, I know your heart. If this is what it takes, I'll meet you in the garden. Late at night when no one else can see, yes, Nicodemus, I will be there. You see, sometimes we underestimate our work. We think that it is the Doug Bachelors and the Mark Finleys and the great speakers of today that will finish the work. But I believe by looking at the method of Christ, it is that one-person audience. It is by going into one home and ministering to the family there that truly the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. If you don't believe me, consider this chart with me for a moment. This is the soul winner's time chart. Imagine with me for a moment that there is a gifted evangelist 
Now this evangelist is incredibly gifted and in one day, he wins 1,000 people to Jesus Christ. Would you say that's a gifted evangelist? Yes. Definitely. Every single day, this evangelist is winning 1,000 people to Jesus Christ. Now, on the other hand, all you have is me, one lowly Bible worker. And each year, I reach only one person for Jesus Christ. But I also teach that one person to reach another soul for Jesus Christ. Let's do a comparison here. After one year, that gifted evangelist will have reached 365,000 people. Whereas, I as the lowly church member, myself, and one other. Do you see the problem here? That seems overwhelming. Why do I even bother? The list continues. After five years, you see that they have won 1.8 million people to Christ. And yet I, as that lowly church member, have won 32. I'm reaching one and I am teaching that one to reach one for Jesus Christ. Again, the numbers here look pitiful. But as we continue, you will see a dramatic change. After eight years, they have won nearly three million people, and I have 256 at that church. That's still a huge number, is it not? But as you continue to reach one and to teach that one, you will find that after 23 years, our numbers are the same. That gifted evangelist who was reaching 1,000 people per day, and I as that lowly church member that is reaching just one person and teaching them to reach another, we have reached the same amount of people. Does that make sense? It's incredible, is it not? Do you see the importance of one-person ministry? Continuing, of course, you can tell after 24 years, now we have reached double that of the gifted evangelist. After 26 years, nearly seven times that of the gifted evangelism. In other words, never underestimate the importance of one-person ministry. Our goal, our passion, our prayer every year should be, God, help me to reach one and teach one. God, help me to reach one for the kingdom and teach that one to reach one more. And how quickly this work will be finished. You know, I believe that we are all a part of the body of Christ. We all have a particular ministry and calling that God has given to us. And there are a lot of churches walking around without arms. Churches without feet. Are we using our talents effectively in our church body for Jesus Christ? So what do we study? Now imagine again, I am going to give a Bible study or an evangelistic seminar. What is the topic that we typically utilize? Prophecy, Daniel, Revelation. Now, why is it that we often share prophecy? Doubtless the Bible's true. 
Good. It establishes the Bible is true. Okay, good. What else? It's exciting. It's interesting. What else? Okay, to know where we are in time, absolutely. To understand how near we are to the coming of Jesus Christ, definitely. Okay, so we share prophecy because one, most other churches aren't. So it of course creates that interest. Secondarily, as was mentioned here, it it again establishes the authority of the Bible. It shows us how near we are to Christ's second coming. But who also should be fully revealed through these books? Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1 reminds us that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, often we can think that it is a revelation of the beast. Because it is easier for me to preach about the beast coming out of the sea than it is to preach about the beast that rises out of my own heart. But you see, it is truly a revelation of Jesus Christ, his character revealed. So again, those are a few of the reasons that I tend to lean towards prophetic Bible studies. It captures the interest. I can present Jesus Christ through that message and share that hope. And of course, it establishes the authority of the Bible. In John chapter 14 and verse 22, we are told, And now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it does come to pass, you might believe. Again, when we see the prophecies fulfilled, our own faith is strengthened. So I would encourage you, I'm going to be sharing today about how you can take any Bible study lesson. I would encourage a prophetic Bible study lesson, but you could do this for absolutely any Bible study lesson series. And how you can take that lesson, again, don't reinvent the wheel, take a lesson, and how can I make this lesson more effective? How can I make it more personal, more dynamic, more Christ-centered? So the points that we are going to be looking at, consider using them with an already established Bible study lesson. And I'll explain more as we continue. All right, I want to look with, a, with you at a quote, and then I want to hear from you. What do you see in this quote that is important in order to give an effective Bible study? Review and Herald, July 26, 1887. We read, Bring earnestness and fervency into your prayers and into your Bible readings that you may leave the impression that the sacred truths you are presenting to others are to you a living reality. Whatever you do for Jesus, seek with all your powers to do it with earnestness. Never feel that you have attained the highest point and can therefore rise no higher. Seize the most interesting portions of Scripture that you can bring before them. Come right to the point and seek to fasten their attention and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. All right. What do you see here as being crucial in order to give an effective Bible study? Enthusiasm. Absolutely. 
If I'm not excited about the Bible study, why should they be? Good. What else do you see? Curiosity. Curiosity. Definitely. Capture that attention. What else? Humbleness. Humbleness. Good. Can people tell when you have that arrogant spirit about you? I've seen this in prayers before. little side note here. Maybe you've seen this in a Bible study or someone's about to preach a sermon. And you say, Lord, help them to understand the Bible. Help them to understand this lesson as we search in through your word today. On what level does it put that other individual? They are low, right? Here I am, the perfect saint. Let me teach you about the ways of God. <laughs> Instead of saying, no, we are both beggars, just telling another beggar where to find bread. We are both learning and growing. So yes, yeah, very good. Not coming in an arrogant spirit, but in the spirit of humility. Very good. What else did we see? Prayer. Is prayer important? Yes. Crucial. Absolutely. What else comes to mind? Okay, we're going to look at five points of effective Bible study. Some of this is going to, again, be repeated. First off, be earnest in your Bible studies. Be earnest. You know, sometimes I wonder if we truly believe what we're sharing. Do we truly believe that Jesus is coming again? Do we truly believe that these prophecies have been fulfilled? Be earnest. Be sincere. Do we realize that this could be their last opportunity to see the gospel fully revealed? Secondarily, be real. Is this a living reality in your life? I can't give something unless it's already in my heart. You know, this is one of the things I appreciate the most about being in ministry. And I'm sure you've experienced this as you prepare for a Bible study, or you prepare to teach Sabbath school, or whatever it may be. As you prepare for work, as you go into your studies, and you realize, God, I cannot go unless I am surrendered to you. God, unless my heart is dedicated to you, I have nothing to share. God, unless your spirit is in me, I don't know what to say. Does God delight when we wrestle with him? There's power in that, is there not? When we, like Jacob, hold on to Jesus and we say, God, I will not let you go until you bless me. Are we having that personal experience with Jesus Christ? Are we drawing closer to him through this experience. Is this real and living in our lives today? Third, be committed. You know, sometimes we start Bible studies and you might go strong for a week or two, but after that you get bored of it or summer break is coming and, and we get distracted. If you start a Bible study, it is very important to be consistent. Be there every week at the very time you tell them you will be there. Why is that so important? What does it show that other individual? 
Okay, you're for real. It's important. Okay, very good. You care. I respect your time. Definitely. Be committed. You know, one of the other things that I, I see sometimes is people may become careless when they give Bible studies. Oh, I just don't really have time to prepare something. I'll just grab something off the shelf and hope it sounds good. Be committed to preparing effective Bible studies. Be committed to spending time in prayer every single day. God, what would you have me to share in this Bible study? You see, when I give Bible studies, I typically begin with Daniel chapter 2. Again, it just establishes the uh, reliability of the Bible. But there have been Bible studies that I'm preparing on Daniel chapter 2, and God just impresses and convicts me. And, and I'm German. I'm a little bit dense, a little hard-headed. <laughs> God has to hit me a couple times often. And I realize, no, this isn't what they need to hear. And I argue with God, but it's all prepared, it's all ready, this is what I usually do. And God will say, no, that is not the Bible study they need to hear. God knows their hearts. Be committed to pray. God, this is my plan, but I give it to you. Is there something else you would have me to share? Continuing, be teachable. So again, as was mentioned earlier, be humble in your approach. Be always willing to learn, not only in your Bible study discussion, but I would also say in our own instruction and learning. For instance, I'm constantly learning new Bible study methods and trying to incorporate more ideas. It's very healthy for us to do that to always be learning and to be growing in our approach. Fifth, be interesting. Is that important? It's very important. If you put them to sleep, that is not a good sign. What are some ways that you can be interesting in a Bible study? Tell stories, absolutely. They may forget all the Bible verses, but they will remember that Bible story. They will remember that Clydesdale. <laughs> but stories do make an impression, definitely. What else? Be enthusiastic. Again, if I'm not passionate about it, why should they be? Be enthusiastic. Smile. You know, for some of us, when we become nervous, we look like we've been sucking on lemon juice all day long. <laughs> and we have that pout. Again, remember to smile. Be enthusiastic about what you're sharing. What else? Yes? Good. Ask questions. It keeps their attention, and it also shows that you are teachable. We're learning together. They're very involved in the process. All right, what else? Sorry? Good. Be a good listener. Listen to them. Is eye contact important? You know, often we think that we have good eye contact until we watch a recording or until we ask our friend, and they say, no, you were staring at your notes the whole time. Why is eye contact so important? Okay, 
have nothing to hide. There's an honesty. It establishes a bond. Good, very good. What else? Good, so I can look at their eyes and I can see that questioning look. Or if I see if they're understanding and they're accepting. So good, good eye contact is crucial. You know, and it's little things as well, like good body language. I'm going to try to demonstrate that. Okay, so imagine again I'm at a Bible study. Hoping this isn't going to roll on me here. <laughs> and I'm just hanging out. What does this show? I'm not interested. I could be watching the Super Bowl. Right? You're just hanging out. You're just chilling. But if I sit forward, what does this demonstrate? I'm interested, I'm engaged, I'm involved. You may have seen this before, studied it in psychology, and I've, I've done it once or twice, I admit. Or you might have a Bible study friend, and they're kind of leaning back and just not that engaged. And I might do the same and then suddenly lean forward. What do they automatically do? They lean forward. They mirror your body language, and suddenly they find themselves more interested, even if they don't know what you're talking about yet. <laughs> So again, be engaging, be enthusiastic. It makes a huge difference. Now, I can't be enthusiastic and engaging unless I have practiced. If I'm not familiar with the material, of course I'm going to be glued to my notes. The more you have studied, the easier it is to put your notes aside and connect with that individual. So I would greatly encourage you, before you give that Bible study, Practice it first on your spouse. Practice it on a friend. Practice it on your dog. <laughs> Just practice it, right? Maybe in front of the mirror or a camera so you can see if you have good eye contact or if you're staring at your nose. Again, practice it so you become more familiar and more comfortable with the information. All right, what to include in any Bible study? I'm going to give you what to include, and then we are going to break it down piece by piece. What to include in any Bible study. So I take my Bible study lesson, whether it be uh, historicals of prophecy, prophecies of hope, amazing facts study guides. What are some other Bible study lessons? It is written. Search for certainty, definitely. I take that Bible study lesson, and now I am going to add these components. I am going to add an introduction. I am going to add three main points somewhere within that Bible study. I'm going to have two illustrations, one personal testimony, diagnostic questions, a summary, an appeal, and a final decision question. Does that sound overwhelming yet? Okay, good. <laughs> All right, we're going to break this down here quickly. Now, an introduction, a strong introduction is crucial. In your Bible study, I would say the two most important components is the introduction and the closing. People may forget or forgive you for what happens in between. If you get a little bit boring, but they will remember your introduction. Did you capture their attention? If you don't in the introduction, it's hard to grasp it later. 
your introduction and your conclusion. Both crucial areas to practice regularly. Now your introduction. In your introduction, I would consider it a commercial. I want to give a little snippet that will make them intrigued, interested in what I'm about to share in that Bible study lesson. Let's say, for instance, that I'm going to study on the Great Controversy. I might start off my introduc introduction by saying, many people wonder, if God is a God of love, then why is there so much pain in this world? If God is a God of love, then why does he allow innocent babies, innocent children to die? If God is a God of love, then where is he when I'm hurting? Today, we are going to unravel this mystery through the word of God. As we begin, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Okay, so that could be a little quick introduction. I am just reminding them of questions they may have heard or questions they may have contemplated themselves. Maybe my study is on the state of the dead. What happens after death? Again, I'll give a little introduction saying, you know, many people wonder today, what happens after death? Heaven? Hell? Nothing? Are there spirits? Are there ghosts? What happens that split second after death? Today we will find that the Bible has the answer. And then we bow our heads for a word of prayer. Does that make sense? So I am not revealing the answer in the Bible study. But I am giving them a little snippet. I am trying to increase their interest. I want them to be thinking of questions. Okay, so interesting, engaging introduction. You want your introduction to be less than a minute or two. Very simple, straight to the point. You could start off with a story. If you're doing Daniel chapter 2, you could start off with the story of Nebuchadnezzar. But please don't read it. Again, we want to be engaging and interesting. Try and share the story. Add in those highlights. Make it very colorful and interesting. All right. Want to include in any study. You want to have three main points in your Bible study lesson. Question. What are the three most important things that you want this person to remember? Have you ever gone to uh, a sermon before and the pastor says, today we are going to be looking at 20 points from the life of Paul. <laughs> what do you automatically do? I run, okay. <laughs> I zone out, right? Oh, 20 points. Or maybe, maybe you're like me and you start counting. Point 16, okay, only four more to go, right? <laughs> At the end of that sermon, how many of those 20 points do you remember? <laughs> one. <laughs> the last one, right? Our mind just cannot grasp all 20 points, and soon you leave and you're just in a fog. So what was the sermon about today? God? <laughs> you're in a fog, right? And that cannot happen in our Bible studies. You will notice that any of the Bible study lessons that I mentioned, they often have 15 questions or so, to 20 questions. 
at the end of the Bible study, they're not going to remember all of those questions. So I want to look at that Bible study and I want to say, okay, what are three very important points that I want them to remember from this study? All right, help me out here. Let's say that I am giving a Bible study on Daniel chapter, what do you think? Two. two. Daniel chapter two. What do you think would be an important main point? Again, we might come up with a lot of ideas here, but what would be a main point that you would want them to remember about Daniel chapter 2? God is in control. Good, very good. Okay. Good, the Bible can be trusted. Good, what else? Okay, the times that we are living in. Just preceding the rock, Jesus Christ. Right? That second coming of Christ. What else? Second coming. Okay, the second coming. Good. Is there another main point that comes to mind? Good will triumph. Okay. Good will triumph, Jesus will reign. Okay? All right, God is in control even if we don't feel like it, such as in the life of Daniel. I like that too because he tied it back to our Bible study lesson directly. So what we're going to do in our Bible study lesson is we choose three main points, and it needs to have a clear connection back to the lesson. Again, remember that these are the three main points that you really want them to remember. You may choose, for instance, that God answers prayer. Is that an important point to take away from the lesson? Yes. All right, so God answers prayer. I now want to take that main point, God answers prayer, and I want to make it personal to their lives as well. I don't know about you, but I was raised in a wonderful Christian home. And you know, I heard all about the gospel, I heard all about Jesus loves you and Jesus died for you, but for me personally, it was not until those crazy teenage years, when finally I read a passage, Isaiah chapter 53, about Jesus being bruised for my iniquities, by his stripes I am healed, suddenly I caught it, suddenly it made sense, and the gospel was real. You see, we can be surrounded, for instance, if you were to go to any football stadium, baseball, you would see a big banner and it says John chapter 3, verse 16. It's everywhere, almost every American knows John 3, 16, and yet their lives are not changed. Why? They often don't see how that applies to them personally. Well, that's nice. God loves the world. That's nice. Jesus died for all of them. But how does that impact my life? So when we give our main points, I typically structure it into two sentences. So each main point, two sentences. In my main point, I would say something very simple relating to the lesson such as we can see in Daniel chapter 2 that God answers, 
answered the prayer of Daniel. In Daniel 2, we see that God answered Daniel's prayer. My first sentence. And I would follow that by saying, we too can be certain that when we come to God in prayer, he will hear. Does that make sense? So my first sentence is it, just, a, just a plain point here. I just want to say, what is the fact? Soon that rock is coming, the rock of Christ's kingdom. That's my first sentence. And then my second sentence will be saying, Jesus is soon coming to take his beloved children home. Okay, so I want to make sure that the point is not just something nice out there, but I want to apply it to them personally. For instance, how often we can look at the Sabbath and see it as a list of thou shalt nots. Thou shalt not do this and that and this and that on the Sabbath, right? And we lose the essence of the relationship. What is the Sabbath about? Is it not that relationship with Jesus Christ? We can be begin to view it as just a day when, yes, the day is crucial, and it is, it is more. It is that special relationship and that time with Jesus. So I don't want to just proof text them and say, thou shalt, but why? How is Jesus revealed through this main point? How is this main point applicable to their lives today? Does that make sense? Yes. A little foggy at first, right? Okay, I'm going to hopefully at the end, we'll have a little bit of time to practice in a small group, and we'll give ideas to each other on what would be some effective main points that we could share. So we'll work towards it together um, here at the end, hopefully. All right, explain this. I'm going to move forward with that. Again, remember three main points that you want to bring out from the lesson. It needs to clearly relate to the lesson, and it needs to clearly relate to them individually. Secondarily, include personal testimony. Use a short story about how God has worked in your life personally done something special for you, or answered a particular prayer request. Now, why is it so important to share personal testimonies in your Bible study? Why is this important? Okay, it's believable. Good. Okay, it can happen for you too. It's just not just for Daniel of old, but God wants this to happen in our lives today. Good. What else? Sahan? Okay, they see that I'm very human. They see that we're not perfect. Absolutely. Why else? What does that knowledge do, by the way, when they see that I'm very human? It builds trust. I can relate. You know, you will find in your Bible study, you often will serve as a counselor, like it or not. People will open up to you with all of the deepest, darkest uh, heart issues that they're struggling with because they trust you. And of course, please point them back to Jesus Christ, <laughs> the true answer to all life's questions. But they trust you. 
And when I share stories with them about my life, it allows them to trust me. I'm genuine, I'm real, I'm open with them as well. Now, I would encourage you in your Bible studies, I typically only share one personal testimony per Bible study. Why? It's not about me. (laughs) It's just not about me, right? They are going to get very sick of the Bible studies if the main discussion of the Bible study is Carissa. Very quickly. So it's not about me. Again, connect with them, but only one personal testimony per section. All right, include personal testimony and use illustrations. You can use a story, amazing fact, anything that will help them understand and remember the point that you are trying to make. In Daniel chapter 2, we use the example of the main point about God answering prayer. Now, if I am going to tell a main point about God answering prayer, I now want to find an illustration or a personal testimony of God answering prayer. That way, this main point sticks in their mind and will not be forgotten. What would be a good example a story you could share about God answering prayer. Would your own personal testimony be effective? Maybe a time when you pled for an answer from God. Maybe when you were struggling with your job situation or finding a house and how God answered your prayer. So again, take your main point and say, okay, how can I now take an illustration and solidify that main point? Help them to remember it clarify it in their minds. Did Jesus use illustrations? He did, all the time. Why did Jesus use illustrations? It sticks in the mind. It's not forgotten soon. What else? It's easy to relate to. Good, definitely. Sorry? They are real. Okay, very genuine. Good. Things that they're familiar with. So as they are plowing behind their ox in the field, they're going to be thinking back to the parables that Jesus gave. Very relevant to their life and their experience. What illustrations did Jesus share? Can you name off a few? The seeds that were sown? That I heard? Okay, good. What else? The ten virgins, good. Sorry? The lost coin, very good. The lost lamb. Prodigal son, very good. So again, Christ was constantly using illustrations. Councils to Teachers, page 178, we are told, in his teaching, Christ drew his illustrations from the great treasury of household ties and affections and from nature. The unknown was illustrated by the known, sacred and divine truths by natural earthly things with which the people were most familiar. These that were the things that would speak to their hearts and make the deepest impression on their minds. You see, sometimes in our Bible studies, we only aim for the head. And we will find that we will have a group of individuals 
that know the truth and yet are left unconverted. They could preach it to you, but they don't know Jesus Christ personally. It did not reach where? Their heart. By using illustrations, by coming close in personal testimonies, that is what will reach their heart. Where do you find illustrations? It could again be your own personal experience. Only one personal testimony per, per Bible study, but again, your own personal experience. How did you come to be a Christian? When did God answer a prayer in your life? It could be stories from books or from magazines. When I read, ooh, I'm not going to tell you what news websites I, I read. <laughs> um, it's controversial, right? <laughs> when I read whatever news publications I read, I will actually write down some of the, the stories, the stories of the mother that runs into that burning house to save her child, the story of a man whose whole family was, was murdered, how he had to go every single week to trial and see those criminals who had murdered his children. And I tie it back again to what Jesus experiences when he has to go before the Father and plead his blood before God when we sin. Okay, so I'm looking at these stories and I have a folder with all of these illustrations in it because someday you will need to use it. It could be uh, amazing facts, of course. I'm a little bit partial, I can see, I can imagine. Stories of heroes of faith. Uh, the Martin Luther stories, Haas Jerome, could be the story of Lynn Robertson, a missionary to Africa. Nature stories, what they can see around them, or illustrations you have heard other people use. Nine times out of ten, when you hear an illustration and you're just excited, wow, that was an incredible illustration. Likely or not, that evangelist has heard it from a different evangelist, who heard it from a different evangelist, who heard it from a different evangelist, and... Yes, it's probably a fish story, right? By the time you hear from it, it's grown. But take those illustrations, if you like them, they are not copyrighted. And use that illustration in your Bible study. So these are some good sources for illustrations I would encourage you to utilize. All right, what to include in any study? Again, you have your introduction. That's where you captivate their attention. You have your three main points. Again, make sure they are very succinct. Not only are you making the point, but now make it personal. Why is that important in my life today? Who cares about an image? How does that relate to my pain and suffering today? So take that main point and make it personal. You then have your two illustrations. Again, these illustrations tie in with your main points so that they can fully understand the point you're trying to make. You have one personal testimony. You have diagnostic questions. Have you heard of a diagnostic question before? In diagnostic questions, I want to diagnose where they are at. I want to know, are they understanding what I'm sharing, or is it just Greek to them? 
So what I'm going to do as I am going through the Bible study, I am going to ask questions. Okay. Do you see from this image in Daniel chapter 2 that the head of gold represents Babylon? As we look at Daniel chapter 2, do you see how God answers the prayers of his people? Is it clear to you from this passage that Jesus is the rock and he is coming soon? Do you see this? So I am just repeatedly asking these questions and helping to clarify. Now why is this important? Maybe, yes please. I might need to repeat something. You know, some of the truths that we share, especially if you've been raised in the church, you, ah, yeah, the Sabbath. But when you share that with others in the community, their minds are blown. What? Everyone across the world is worshiping on the wrong day? This could be incredible and overwhelming to them, so I need to make sure that I am asking questions, that they are understanding that we are on the same page. You know what can often happen in our Bible studies? And this is why we dread the appeal. We're afraid they will say no. And the reason many people say no is because we have not asked diagnostic questions. So I go all the way to the end of the Bible study and I say, do you want to keep the Sabbath holy, the seventh-day Sabbath holy? And they look at me and they say, the seventh day? I thought it was on Sunday. I've gone through an entire Bible study on the Sabbath, but all they were hearing was Sunday. And because I did not clarify, because I did not ask questions and engage with them, now I have gotten to the end of the study, I've asked for a decision, and their decision will be what? No. It will be a negative decision. Okay, so that's why it is so important to ask diagnostic questions all the way through. Now, notice in the questions that I asked, I did not ask, so how do you feel about this? Do you think it's a good idea? Why could it be detrimental to ask those types of questions? Okay, their response. What if their response is, no, I don't like it? Okay. Okay, could bring out that negative instead of that positive. Do we walk by faith or by sight? By faith. I do not base my decisions on my feelings. I base it on a thus saith the Lord. Every decision must be based on the word of God. So I don't want to ask, what do you think, what do you feel? Instead, I am asking, is it clear to you from the Word of God? Do you see in this Bible passage? Okay, I'm pointing them back to the Word of God. Next, you see that we have a summary. Now, in your summary, you don't, again, have to reinvent the wheel. All you do is take those three main points that you have labored on so earnestly Take those three main points and just repeat them. Today we have seen from the Bible that God answered the prayer of Daniel and he will answer our prayers as well. We have seen that God's word has proven true throughout the, throughout the ages. 
and that we could trust the Bible. And finally, we know that soon that rock, Jesus Christ, is coming and he will bring his children home. Okay, all I have done is taken those three main points and I have just repeated them. Repetition deepens impression. Repetition deepens impression. Take those three main points and repeat it again for them to hear. And then I close again with an appeal and a decision question. We are going to quickly go through how to do an appeal and a decision question in our next class together, which will be a very abbreviated class. Um, but again, we'll look at how to bring about an appeal and a decision question. What is the time outline for a Bible study? I would encourage when you arrive at your Bible study to take the first eight to 10 minutes and that is just social time. Why is that important? Good. It demonstrates that I truly care about them. Do I? I hope so. I hope so. You know, as I look at the life of Jesus Christ, it amazes me. To think that Jesus invested just as much in Judas, the man that he knew would betray him, as he invested in Peter and in others. You see, even though Jesus knew he would walk away, Jesus loved him with everything still. And sometimes in our Bible studies, sometimes as we're trying to reach our coworkers for Jesus Christ, we have an agenda. And when someone doesn't seem interested in spiritual things, we say, eh, forget them, I tried. But do we keep loving them just as Jesus did? Whether or not they accept the truth, do we love them still? You know, I have three sisters, as I mentioned before. And I could always tell when someone was trying to become a friend of mine because they wanted to date one of my sisters. <laughs> That's flattering, right? Just go ask my sister. And sometimes people, well, always, people can tell if you have an agenda. No, I don't care about you. I just want another baptismal certificate. Can people see that? Definitely. Do we care about them? Do we love them as Christ did, as Christ does? So again, as I'm spending that social time with them, I'm just showing, hey, I care about you. You are important to me. During that social time, I am also listening. I am listening to hear what are some of their needs, what are some of their struggles. They might share with me about their mother that recently passed away, and how thankful they are that she's in, in heaven looking down on them. And as I'm listening to this, I'm realizing, okay, when we get to the point of sharing about the state of the dead, I need to approach it more carefully in a different manner. Do you hear this, right? So I'm listening, and I'm getting to know them personally. You know what I often do when I meet someone, a Bible study friend? I, I don't have very good memory. So as I leave their house, I might jot down a few notes about that individual. Please not while you're sitting in their driveway. <laughs> Pull down the street, write down a few notes. I'm writing down the name of the grandma that's in the hospital. I'm writing down Rufus, right, their dog. 
And that way, next week when I greet them, I can ask, well, how's Grandma Lily? Is she doing better? How was her hip surgery? You remembered her name? Wow, thank you. It makes an impression, does it not? And again, just demonstrates, I care, you're important to me. Next, you're going to spend about 30 to 45 minutes in study time. Now, you may look at your Bible study lesson and say, that is impossible. Pretty much. (laughs) But the goal is to spend less than 45 minutes in that Bible study lesson. I remember... Um, following up an interest for Amazing Facts, knocked on the door of this one lady by the name of Judy. And when I, again, mentioned I'm with Amazing Facts, and she had been taking our Bible study lessons, and I offered additional Bible studies in her home, she was very hesitant. And she told me, you know, I had some other people come to my house and offer Bible studies, and they spent four hours at my house. Four hours? She went on to tell me, oh yeah, I showed them all my animals and my garden and my house, but four hours, I don't have time for four hours. Now you caught that, right? That poor Bible worker was probably thinking, oh, I'm connecting, we're friends. And yet when they leave, the contact is saying, four hours, never again. So that's why in my Bible studies, and I actually promised Judy, I said, I promise I will be in and out in less than an hour. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. And she tested me the first few weeks, and then we had the guarantee, and we went on from there, and she she loves Bible studies. But um, again, it's very important to respect their time. And if they see, oh, this took two hours, I don't have time for that, they will quit the Bible studies. So try and keep it very succinct. Now, what I am sharing is also culturally related. I remember going to to Greece and to some countries in Central America, and if I was to just run in there, spend eight minutes talking, and then give a Bible study and leave, would that be appreciated? No. I need to sit down and have a full meal and chat about the family and the cult, right? That's crucial before you give the Bible study. So again, do consider culture but typically I would say one hour or less. The last three to five minutes is your appeal and your decision question. I would greatly encourage you when you go on Bible studies to have two people. One of them is the main spokesperson and the other one is the silent prayer partner. Is it important to have a prayer partner? Absolutely. Their job is equally important. They are praying for God to work on that person's heart and to work on you as you are sharing the Bible study lesson. And again, this just prevents confusion. Two people talking over each other the entire time. So one of you, again, is a prayer partner and one is leading the Bible study. Don't stay longer than an hour. And lastly, timing your studies before an evangelistic seminar. Typically, in the home, you want to refrain, when possible, from covering the the deeper theological Bible studies. As an example, it's been shown time and again that people are um, more likely to make a decision for topics such as state of the dead or um, Sabbath, baptism, 
when they are in a public audience than when you are in their home. There is something about that group atmosphere and seeing, wow, I'm not alone. I won't be the only person in the world keeping the Sabbath. <laughs> that again is just reassuring to them and helps them make that decision. So typically, I ideally would time my Bible study so that I give only six Bible studies in the home before the prophecy seminar begins. Of course, this is not always possible, but that is the ideal. About six Bible studies, you've really built that relationship, you've helped to ground them in the truth, and then, of course, you transition to them to the prophecy seminar. That's the ideal, though not always possible. All right, we're going to wrap up this section here quickly with these main points. You know, here we've talked about giving Bible studies, but how do you get there? How do you first establish those interests? I would encourage you to pray. Ask God to reveal people in your life that he is calling you to reach for the kingdom. You know, I may look at someone and say, God... That's a demoniac. God, there is no way they would ever be saved. There's no way they would ever be interested in Bible studies. And yet Jesus could look at a demoniac and say, that man will be a missionary. Is this true? Ask God to look with his eyes. Don't limit God. You may have invited this person to many meetings in the past and prophecy seminars and whatever else it may be. Don't limit God. Don't give up. God's view is so much greater than ours. I would encourage you also, consider if someone is going through a crisis in their life. And we all know when someone is going through a crisis, they are more open to spiritual things. Typically, there are two different types of crises that a person may face. One is the crisis of losing, and the other, the crisis of gaining. What is something that a person may lose that may create a crisis in their life? They lose their job. Good. What else? Family, marriage. What else? Their health their house, their job security, financial security, all these things they could lose that would create a crisis. But what is something someone might gain that would create a crisis? You know, could, okay, so big life change. You know, often we don't think of gaining as a crisis. We think of it as a positive. But maybe you've met those individuals who say, you know, when I reach this stage in my life, then everything will be perfect. When I graduate from high school, oh, life will be so easy, right? When I graduate from medical school, from college, oh, no more cares, no more problems. Oh, if only I could get married. Once I'm married, then life is just roses and chocolate. And they have these goals in mind. The couples laughed more on that one now. <laughs> They have these goals in mind. Once I retire, life will be perfect. I'm just going to hang out and golf all day. And then they reach that point, whatever that point was, and they realize they are still not fulfilled. 
I thought this would bring me joy. I thought this would be enough. And yet they find themselves still empty. That is the crisis of gaining. I have gained all that I thought that I needed, and yet I am still empty. The crisis of gaining. Again, another opportunity for you to reach someone during that time. All right, here are some ideas for what you might say to your friend in order to start a Bible study with them. You might say, you and I have recently talked about our need to know God better. What would you say the idea of us getting together once a week to study the Bible? What do you think? Could you say it? Maybe there's a topic you've been considering recently. Maybe you've been talking with them about all the terrorist attacks that are happening around the world. If there is a God of love, then why are these things happening? Does the Bible have anything to say about it? I recently came across some Bible studies, and they're so fascinating. They deal with these very questions. What do you think about getting together just on Monday evening and checking it out for 30 minutes together? Okay, here's another idea. I took this class on how to give Bible studies, and they gave us this set of Bible lessons. The first study answered the question, can we trust the Bible? I'm supposed to practice this study on someone, and I thought you might be willing to help me out. It would only take about 30 minutes. Would you do me a favor and let me practice my study on you? Do friends want to help friends out? Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, it only takes 30 minutes, not much time, and we'll sit down together and study God's Word. You know what we've really enjoyed? We were in Houston, and there was a woman coming to our AFCO to go, our weekend training event, and she said, you know, my husband is Buddhist. I am going to go home, and I'm going to try this on him. <laughs> and then the next morning, she came back, and she said, you know, I asked my husband, and he said, yes. She said, so now what do I do? <laughs> but again, this works. It's so simple, and yet your friends want to do a favor for you. They're your friend. What if they were to accept Jesus Christ? You know, what if for the rest of your life, you traveled around the world preaching the gospel and giving Bible studies, and yet only one person was saved. Would your life have been well spent? Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes I tremble at the times when I have not asked, at the divine appointments that I have missed, how worth it it'll be to have just one person accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Testimonies for the Church, volume 9, page 150. I'm going to close this section with this, this passage. Our work has been marked out for us by our Heavenly Father. We are to take our Bibles and go forth to warn the world. We are to be God's helping hand in saving souls, channels through which his love is day by day to flow to the perishing. You see, today we are to take our Bibles and we are to go. How incredible to think that you, that I, are called to be channels through which his love can flow to the perishing. 
how imperfectly I represent that love, and yet God is calling us to share that love, share that joy, share that hope that we have experienced. I travel a fair amount for work, and before I book a flight, I'm always praying, God, help me to sit next to someone that I can share my testimony with, someone that I can share about you with. And I'm always praying that I, that still means I get to sit next to the window. <laughs> and I remember one um, afternoon, I got on the plane and I sat down next to this gentleman. And again, I'm hoping for a divine appointment. I'm hoping for an opportunity to share about Christ. And I sat down next to him and he looked over at me and then looked back out the window. <laughs> and what's that a sign of? Leave me alone, not interested, right? Conversation ended. And I, of course, was disappointed. And as the time went on, I pulled out my tray table and I had my Bible and I was reading through the book of Ephesians. So there I am reading in my Bible and the flight attendant comes by. The gentleman asked for a soda. He reached out to get the soda and accidentally spilled that soda on the book of Ephesians. My Bible was baptized. And there I am scrambling, trying to get napkins and wipe up the mess and the poor flight attendant and getting it all cleaned up when the gentleman turned and looked at me again and he said, well, I'm definitely going to hell now. <laughs> Filling soda on someone's Bible, right? <laughs> Have you ever said anything without really thinking what you're saying? Some of us more than others, maybe. <laughs> and I turned and I looked at him with a huge smile on my face and I said, you know, I don't believe in such a place. He looked at me. What type of Christian doesn't believe in this hellfire that's burning forever, right? And I, again, excitement is building as he looks at me. And then he looks back out the window. <laughs> I tried, right? And I go back to dabbing the liquid off of my Bible, when, when he turns and he looks at me again and he says, you know, I used to believe in a God. Did you? He begins to tell me the story of when he was in Central America and his young infant daughter came down with an illness. The doctor came to him and said, your daughter will not live through the night. As any father would, he got on his knees and he cried out, God, if there is a God, don't let my baby girl die. And by the grace of God, her life was spared. I used to believe in a God, he said. I then had an opportunity to share with him about my own personal testimony, my own recent experience when I was the one in the hospital bed, and yet the peace and the healing of Jesus Christ, of a God that still works miracles today, of a God that is real and powerful in our lives. And though he blamed it on allergies, there were tears coming out of his eyes. And before we left that day, I was able to share with him a little book, Steps to Christ. You see, I looked at that man, I said, ah, not the divine appointment I was hoping for. And yet God could use a soda to bring someone to Jesus Christ. God wants to use us 
to bring souls to his kingdom. What an incredible calling today. Is it your desire to take your Bible and go? Amen. By the grace of God, may we truly experience those divine appointments today. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father God, Lord, I just want to praise your name. I thank you, Father God, that even now there are divine appointments around us. Father God, Lord, I thank you that we have family members, we have friends, we have neighbors and coworkers that are crying out to heaven. They are seeking something greater in their lives, and the answer is found in Jesus Christ. Father, even more so than divine appointments, Father, for what I pray, open our eyes so that we can see that. Father, please may you help us to see with your heart. Please give us the words to speak. And Father, in all things, may your Son, Jesus Christ, be lifted up as our prayer. And it is his name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.